0: This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfzc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning, everybody. I'm taking a little bit of time to look around to see world is here. I dearly miss sharing the room with you in our bodies. And I'm sure you miss similar things. I'm going to page two. Wow. Most, mostly names. But lots of names, page three, page four, and page five. Can you all hear me? Yes, good. Um, and is it loud enough? So Chiryu mentioned my name Christina <coughs> oh I need some water. <coughs> I'm talking to you from my home in Mill Valley, which has by now become... A segregated white community. It wasn't like that when Marsha bought the house, my partner, in 1984. But it continuously turned into that over the, the years. So that is a sad thing because it divorces us from a large part of reality that is always here in our world. We don't see it. We only have people of color now coming in to look after the children, to help in the stores, to be landscaping on construction sites, but they can't afford to live here. So they, there's no other communal life possibilities in our reach. So the subject today is, I'm quoting a poem by Hafiz. He calls it the subject, subject tonight, but I call it the subject today is love. And for tomorrow night, tomorrow day as well. As a matter of fact, I know of no better topic for us to discuss until we all die. So to start out, I will during the talk occasionally connect to the topic of the practice period I led at city center together with about 100 people, um, that was centered on our body. So I would like you to, for a moment, tune into your body and feel it, sense it, and let it tell you how you might shift your posture or get more support so that you are the most supported physically and supported to be mentally awake and present. And while we're speaking, it's easier now that you're speaking from your own place to do that continuously while the talk is going on. When your body gives you signals it needs somebody, just follow it, trust it. I also want to start today with acknowledging the incredible storm we find ourselves in, all of us. We're in the same storm, but in very, we experience it in very different boats. The storm is composed of the viral pandemic which has 3,800,000 confirmed cases worldwide, 14.1 confirmed state million in the United States, worldwide 143,000 deaths. No, in our no, that's not true. Sorry. I mixed them up. Yeah. Yes. In our country, 3.81 million confirmed and 140,000 dead by now. And worldwide, 14.1 million and 598 deaths. In California, 300, about 370,000 cases and 7,500 have died. And in Marin County, 350, 3,546 confirmed, and so far 40 deaths. So it's worldwide, and it's in our communities. And then the circles shrink to the circles of your community, to the circles of your friends and family in your life. I have so far not experienced uh, death in our, amongst our people we love and know, but that is just a straw of of luck. And I also want to acknowledge that um, we also are, in the storm of realizing and seeing and feeling in tangible ways systemic inequity. Inequity that is embedded in our bodies, in our systems, Um, its economic inequity. So white family wealth is seven times greater than black family wealth and five times greater than Hispanic wealth, and that's the number from 2016. Now the disparity is as high or higher than it was then. And there is also racial injustice and racial violence. Ethnic violence and injustice. As of June this year, 105 Black people have died at the hand of police. And innumerable more have died from the pandemic or from the economic uh, disparities. And that creates an ocean of grief, suffering. So this is what we find ourselves in these days. We get to see it, we get to hear it, we get to feel it, we get to experience it in tangible ways. And it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call To notice what we have come inured to, what we have gotten used to, what we don't see because we are conditioned not to see it. But because we are restricted, we're limited, we have the shelter at home. We have time, we have in some ways more time, we can't do our habitual ways of running around and doing things that keep us and our world kind of known to us. We encounter unknown parts of this world that we have used to not see. We also start, because of the virus being absolutely not hindered by any boundaries, borders, other boundaries, we um, see how inextricably and completely we are interconnected. Beyond what we see, think, have, have thought, how we usually protect ourselves. Even if we go out now protected with a mask and sanitize our hands, we don't know. We can't see if someone we meet has the virus, if we pick it up somewhere. We don't know. We know we haven't. Almost 14 days later, we know we haven't yet, but maybe we have in the meantime. So there's this Complete interconnectedness is also so in our face. And how do we hold this? How do we, um, how do we respond to this? So because we're limited, because we have these limitations, um, we have an opportunity. And for many people, that just happened automatically. It clarifies our priorities. So many things we used to fill our day with. We can't do. We can't go to the gym. We can't go. We can't meet with people. We can't. to the movies. So that's like we are being put unsigned up for into a retreat situation. And first I used to say we're kind of in a three-month practice period framework like the center practice periods where you put yourself voluntarily in and now I feel like we've been moved from a three-month practice period gain unasked for to a one-year Tibetan uh, singular retreat. So this is this is challenging. So we can study the self, we can clarify and apply our intentions, and we're forced to. If you are parents With kids. Your priorities, you have to look at all your priorities because the kids are home. You have to school them at home. How many computers or not computers do you have to do that? How much support do you have or don't have to do that? How are you managing with them? How are you keeping peace maybe in a small apartment in the city where there's no outdoors? So that by itself challenges and requests from us and asks us to clarify priorities and stretch and learn new things. So it's in relationships, priorities become clear. So it's very interesting that many people have activated relationships with people that didn't fit in their everyday lives. But now with the virtual means, like how we are meeting now, they talk to them, to friends, they haven't talked since years. People I haven't been, I didn't take the time to look where you're all looking in from, but in some other groups, people from Europe join, people from all over the world are able to join. Um, so there is new connections. Um, so there is creativity in that. And I want to remind us that actually the vehicle of our practice, of our existence, is our body. Without it, we would not be here. And it's the exact unique individual body we have been given and how it is moment by moment. is our instrument, our vehicle of life, our vehicle of expression, our vehicle of experience of learning. Nothing happens without this body in this existence. So Dogen writes in the which is a vow, he writes, and he wrote this for monks, and I will shift it over to lay people. So we vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the true Dharma that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith, that upon meeting it, we shall renounce worldly affairs and maintain the Buddha Dharma, and that in doing so, the great earth and all living beings together will attain the Buddha way. So we vow with all beings from this life on throughout countless lives to hear the truth, like, about, for example, the truth that happened to George Floyd and what happens to innumerable African Americans. And with, with that fact, they have to live every moment of their life, with that threat. They have to live every moment of their lives which we, just by the fact that we're born white, don't have to. So now we saw the truth. We watched it for eight plus minutes. And our bodies respond. Our bodies know, are completely, absolutely interconnected with everything. They know. They could feel it. They can feel it even when we don't see it when it's happening unbeknownst to us. There was an experiment in the book, The Secret Life of Plants, which I read maybe 30 years ago, a long time ago. And they had an experiment. They put electrodes on plants. And in another room, they had a pot of boiling water and they threw a bunch of live shrimps into that water. And all the plants with electrodes on them had a shock reaction. How do they, did they know that there was killing happening in the next room? They have no eyes, they have no ears, announced to us. So we are as interconnected and as connected to everything. And we can feel it. We can feel that our mem- mind is discombobulated, that we have maybe much more difficulty remembering things that we, we are maybe sleep disturbed, we are anxious, even maybe we, in the case that, for example, I right now, I'm not under any immediate threat, but there's a continuous level of anxiety running through everything of grief, of profound grief, of, of a sadness that is bottomless, That is not, that is way bigger than personal. Um, So we vow from this life on through our countless life to hear the truth, that upon hearing it, no doubt will arise in us, nor will we lack in faith, that upon meeting it, we shall renounce fixed habitual views. That's for the lay person. That's for everybody. Monk, lay, anything. So it's that's what is meant. We shall renounce worldly affairs. We will renounce. We will let go. We will investigate. We will be curious about what fixed views we are holding that are blinding us to the truth we are seeing now and we let go of them. That is what what um, Buddhist practice is about. Buddhist practice is about radical questioning, open-hearted, curious, an investigation of all our experience, not just keeping them, oh, I know that, so I don't have to look at it, no. Buddhism is telling us everything is in continuous flux, in continuous movement. Nothing is fixed. All compounded phenomena are unstable, unreliable, and unworthy of confidence. That means even when we turn our back... We don't know, we can't count on anything staying the same. And I think that truth also is so tangibly in our face right now. And if we take this as a invitation to look at it with curiosity and kindness, and compassion, and empathy, and honesty, It will teach us. It's like when it says in one of the fascicles of Dogen, it says, walls, trees, and pebbles all expound reality, all tell us about the truth, all keep the whole world. Everything is telling us how it is, but we look at it through the filter of our conditioning, unconscious biases and, and habits. They filter out what doesn't fit. So, but we can start looking. We can start recognizing the filter and we can start looking through the filter. And then everything is helping us to be awake and to continuously keep waking up. So one of my students who lives in Canada, she told me she went to a... Korean temple, I'm paraphrasing, to a um, Korean temple and there were 10 Buddhist tenets right at the front door, you couldn't miss them. And the first one said, expect continuous change, not there is, like we say at Zen Center, there is continuous change, you know, realities, all, all everything is flowing, nothing is fixed expect it, that's a different attitude, I think. And that's what we're experiencing. But if we start expecting it, we have more agency to meet it, rather than always being surprised or feeling the victim of the changes that come our way. So then in the Ehe KOSUGOT KANWON, Dogen quotes a a Zen master, Lung Ya, who said, those who in past lives were not enlightened will now be enlightened. In this life, save the body which is the fruit of many lives. Save the body which is the fruit of many lives. Before Buddhas were enlightened, they were the same as we. Enlightened people of today are exactly as those. Then he goes on, quietly explore the farthest reaches of these causes and conditions. So how how do we have fixed view? How do we come by them? Confessing and repenting in this way, so then we have to confess and repent and repair. And I think that is one that these times are asking us. Actually, I realize I forgot one other crisis that is happening in this storm, and that's the climate crisis. That our natural world is in such horrendous uh, despair that we lose wildlife, we lose plants, we lose air quality, we lose water quality, we we lose what we need for staying alive. So that is the other one. That's all, it's like one big storm, one big package. I also want to say I have, you know, it's hard for me to talk with only a screen. I'm absolutely not used. This is the first time. But I do have Behind the screen is sitting my partner, Marsha. She put on a ruckazoo. We offered incense. So occasionally I look at her and what is very helpful to me is she will give me very honest uh, feedback later. So that's very helpful. But I also find looking at you, you are much closer, I remember, the ones I know, I remember how it is to be in your physical presence. My body remembers. My body remembers Terry. My body remembers uh, Becky. My body remembers Irene from earlier times. It doesn't matter how long ago actually I've been in the same room. When I see your faces, my body creates a whole energetic context around that Paul um, And the ones I haven't met in person, you come through with your energy and I meet you for the first time. So our life, our being is intricately and inseparably connected to the individual body we have been given and we have now. It is a body that continuously participates in and responds to every thought, feeling, and action, to every experience, to every impact. Our body is an organism of complete, all-inclusive responsiveness. Functioning continuously, independent of our level of awareness. So it does, it does its thing, whether we are aware or not. But if we become aware, and if we engage it, then we become a fabulous team. In this phenomenal existence, we are children of planet Earth together with all other species in nature. And as such, our bodies, too, have carried the innate capacity of nature to live in harmony with difference and equality. So Reginald Ray, who wrote the book Touching Enlightenment, says it beautifully, I think. To be embodied, to be in the body, is to be in connection with everything. When we begin to inhabit the body as our primary way of sensing, feeling, and knowing the world, then we find that we as human beings are in a state of intimate relationship and connection with all that is. It is to know and to feel our connectedness with other people as subject, not as objects. Our fixed views, our habits, divide the world in subject and object. But when our bodies only know subjects, That means our bodies in their liberated states, but because our bodies are conditioned to generations. And I'll talk about this later. It is to know the natural world, the earth and the ocean, the rivers and mountains, as our relatives. Others is whom we are in deep relationship. It is to appreciate the other forms of being also as living, breathing, knowing, and loving subjects. So maybe you want to check with your body if you need to shift a little to be able to be present. Feel free to do whatever you need. So there are two books that I think in terms of the racial biases we all carry in our bodies, because they are genetically passed on through generations. There is the book by Resmaa Menachem. It's called My Grandmother's Hands. And he talks about that embodiment of uh, that transmission of views, of racial views. Um, And has exercises in the book. It's a profoundly kind, non-judgmental provocative, because it challenges our unconscious belief system, more or less unconscious belief system. Um, It's worthwhile looking into. And the other one is by Robin DiAngelo. It's called White Fragility. Why it is so hard for white people to talk about racism. So he Risma Re, Menachem doesn't talk about bodies of color, he does, talks about bodies of culture. We all carry a body of culture that has been passed to us by family generations, by societal generations, by uh, circumstances that contributed to its creation. So, Buddhism is a, radical, a practice of radical questioning and is a universally inclusive process. It also says everything that ever happens to us is part of our journey toward realization. So everything that happens to us, we can look at and engage as helping us to wake up, to see something we may not have seen before or to feel something that we didn't feel or to understand something that we didn't understand in this way. So in this, Buddhism invites us to take seriously our whole entire human existence, to take everything in our life, in our individual life, as the path. And also in our communal life, but whatever is in our circles, whatever touches our life, becomes part of our grist for the mill, to wake up, to become more understanding, more loving, more kind. Then it also is, a you could think, it's maybe not so optimistic, but it is because it says, nothing leads us away. There's no possibility of true regression. No actual mistake. Everything is learning, opening, and moving forward. That doesn't mean you don't ever make a mistake. But when you know you made a mistake and you acknowledge you made a mistake and you make amends, you repent and make amends for repair, then you move forward. And we all know that. We had a Fight with a friend and we, we really made it up truthfully, we have a deeper relationship, moved us to a deeper level of connection, to more intimacy. So there is a fundamental and boundless optimism about what human life is and why we are here. And I, I think John Lewis, the congressman John Lewis, who died two days ago, now we could, can see all these uh, vignettes of his life and his quotes, and we've seen him over the years. He is such an incredible, in Buddhism you would say, realized human being. He touches, I think, he touches my heart, and I think he touches most hearts. When he speaks, he's so authentic and so real, and so has such deep faith, and such courage, and such love for humanity that he is really um, an incredible loss. But he has been here, and we know it. And we can go back with our technology. We can see him again. We can be inspired by him again. And I feel every person who dies leaves a legacy, that what has touched us about their being is now our responsibility to bring and continue in our life. We can't delegate it to him or anybody else we have lost any longer. It's now our task to what that meant to us, what was touched in us. We now have to cultivate and start manifesting in our own lives. So we do say, you know, learning means assimilating and it means incorporating so it's interesting that we use these words so it means um walk your talk manifest your intentions so if we change our views if we understand something more, it has to be incorporated. It has to be become manifest. It has to be embodied in our actions. So I watched an interview with um, Jane Elliott. She's an old school teacher, I mean, former school teacher. And She had a, it was one video on YouTube, you can watch, it's fantastic, there are interviews with her. And she has been working with racial injustice in in her school rooms and with people. So she's in a big auditorium and she says to the auditorium, those of you who wouldn't, wouldn't mind being treated like a black person, please stand up. Nobody stands up. She says, oh, I think you didn't understand the question. If you wouldn't mind being treated like a black person, please stand up. Nobody stands up. She says, so you know. That means you know. Why don't you do anything about it? Why do you put up? with it. And that's that's the step we have to take. It's not enough to know. We have to not put up with it. We have to act that it's hindering that. We have to counteract that. And that's the same for financial injustice. And that's the same for climate injustice, climate change. That's threatening. Um, That's the same for violence. Wherever it occurs, violence is in families, in societies, in, in in all layers of human life, you can find violence. Looking for the quotes by John Lewis. Yes, We're getting slowly to the end. And I'm looking for the quotes. I was pretty good so far. I, I'm known as shuffling through papers when I give a talk, and now I thought I didn't do it this time, but here I am. Here it is. <laughs> so. John Lewis says, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. So this is ancient twisted karma born through body, speech, and mind. You have to say something. You have to do something. You must be bold, brave, and courageous and find a way to get in the way of what is not fair, not just, uh, not right. You have to tell the whole truth, the good and the bad. And all the also maybe things that are not comfortable for other people. So that's another way we keep things under wraps is to only tell part of it, the part that we think we're going to get accepted with them or we're not exposing ourselves. We're not. So it's a practice of vulnerability. It's a practice of uprooting taboos, unspoken taboos. When you make mistakes, when you're wrong, you should admit you're wrong and ask people to forgive you. I am very hopeful. I am very optimistic about the future. There may be some difficulties, some interruptions, but as a nation and as a people, we are going to build a truly multiracial democratic society that maybe can emerge as a model for the rest of the world. And I do think we are at the crucial point. There's such a culmination of those four things that we have a chance to wake up, to speak up, to show up, to manifest in the ways we can in our individual lives. So I'm not going to demonstrations because I'm low hanging fruit for the virus at this moment. But there may be a day when I go, but who, who do I support? Where can I support? So we all can look for what we can do that doesn't endanger other people or endanger us. So I think it's time to wrap up the talk. I want to end it again with the Hafez poem. The subject today is love, and for tomorrow night as well. As a matter of fact, I know of no better topic for us to discuss until we all die. And then he has another one, a short one that I quote often. And it goes like this. And love says, I will, I will take care of you to everything near, to everyone near. Thank you very much for Bringing your energy to this talk, which came through the screen and co-shaped it, I wish you continuous good health, safety, wellness, courage to stretch, speak up, show up, learn, and share with each other.